0: Hello and welcome to Speak A Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning, and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak A Dogcast. Now today on the show, the power of body language. Do you understand your dog's body language? Do you understand your own body language? Yeah, that can really come into play in helping you train your dog. And then we have a segment called, I like big mutts, and I cannot lie, it's so true, I do love big mutts. Yeah, they're my favorite kind of dogs. <laughs> no, but we're going to talk about all the different kinds of muts today, sizes, you know, there's all different kinds of muts out there, we're going to talk a little more in depth. And maybe talk about some things you hadn't thought about with mutts before. Yes. Then we have the first pets followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, dog training related, dog related, send it on over my way. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, how long do snow crabs live? Yes, how long do snow crabs live? I'll give you the answer to today's trivia question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, the power of body language. Yes, it is the universal communicator amongst all animals. It is body language. It doesn't matter what animal we're working with or talking about. Body language is that universal way that we can all communicate. Now, sure, there are vocalizations, such as human beings. We have obviously the most complicated and complex vocalization communication going on. Uh, But other animals use certain noises and things like, but body language. Body language is the one thing that it doesn't matter what the animal is. It always plays a role and it's always, to some degree, universally understood. You know, think about predator and prey, animals like that, right? Certain postures that go into, let's say, if we have a tiger hunting an antelope. If an antelope is chilling, grazing along, all is well, and then all of a sudden it perks up. It darts left, looks left, darts and looks right. What does that tell you? Defensive mechanism. There's a defensive posture. There's danger nearby. We could all watch a video of that and extrapolate that. Now let's say we see another video and we see a tiger and it's kind of strolling along nice and slow and then all of a sudden it crunches down and hunches down. Ears go down. right? Face back makes itself not see, you know, so it can't be seen. What does that tell you? Well, that he's going into prey, predator mode, right? He's going into the hunt clearly that animal is trying to not be seen. Okay. Their body language can tell us they're about to go into the hunt. They're trying to be camouflaged and they're going to pounce on the prey animal. So just by that alone, we can say, how about let's talk about a dog. Let's keep it to the dog stuff. Dog centric. I'm walking down the street in the neighborhood. I see a dog behind a fence and the dog's woof, 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 barking at me, posturing. Now, again, if I showed somebody just a video of this, I took away the audio. And I showed them a video of a dog posturing, barking through a fence. It's got, maybe it's got fur on the back, standing up its tails up and wagging, but it's straight and kind of stiff. Tells us a lot, doesn't it? These are kind of universal extrapolations we can make just by understanding body language. So, you know, part of this, part of the segment is understanding body language. And part of it is how do you implement that yourself? How do you give off good body language? So... The first thing I actually want to talk about is the tail. Let's go back to the tail a second. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a tail of a tail. Tail of a tail. There we go. Okay. So (laughs) here's what I want to get at is most people, most people tend to really focus in on the tail, don't they? Well, he's wagging his tail so he's happy. How many times have you heard that phrase? Well, he's wagging his tail so he must be happy. Eh, wrong answer. <laughs> you could not be more incorrect, guys. A wagging tail tells you only part of it. And look, I'll be honest, I've had dogs with wagging tails that two seconds later are biting me. So a wagging, or at least trying to bite me, thank goodness I don't get bit very often, not gumwood. would. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, the truth of the matter is the tail can tell you a lot, but not Everything. In my opinion, you need to read the body language of a dog from the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail. It's not that the tail isn't going to tell you anything. It's not going to tell you everything. Okay? And sure, look, if you've done this enough and you really know how to read body language, the tail can tell you quite a bit. Like I often tell my clients, I want you to analyze your dog's tail wags. especially if we're dealing with like a behavioral issue. It's not just like a, a puppy. Uh, like we have a dog that maybe has some aggression issues or some anxiety issues. And I say, pay attention to that tail. What's it doing? it's not just wagging. How is it wagging? How is it postured? Where is it wagging relative to the dog's body? Above, middle, down, kind of somewhere in between? These are important details. How is the wag? Is it a nice flow? Is it stiff? Is it really fast? All of these little details come into play to telling us what's going on with the dog's body language. Then, of course, I have to look at the other body language. I have to look at the face and the head. What are the ears doing? A lot of dogs have very expressive eyebrows. What are the eyebrows? How about the Joker face? Is the dog giving a Joker face? That's never good. You don't want that. Uh, people think it's cute. How oh, he's smiling? No, he's not. Uh, no, he's not. I, let me just let me just get. Re- no, <laughs> the dog is not smiling. It's a dog. They don't smile. Uh, the Joker face is anxiety. And sometimes that can lead to not so good stuff. So let's just get rid of that one right now. Okay, so again, body language, to me, it's very important that you read every detail, every aspect of the dog. Okay, we didn't even talk about the middle parts. We talked about the tail, we talked about the head, how do you get to the middle? What's the middle part telling you? Are they stiff, are they relaxed? What are their feet doing? Are they antsy, are they moving around? Has the hair on the back? You know, all these things that come into play. So you have to ask yourself, are you really paying attention to these body language cues? Are you really honed in on not only your own dogs, but hey, other dogs out in the neighborhood at the dog park, at the doggy day camp facility you drop your dog off at? Are you watching other dogs' behavior in their body language? Okay. Because again, these guys do nothing but really communicate through body. Sure, they oh they bark. Yeah, yeah, they bark. Okay. But <laughs> when they're barking, what is their body language telling you? Okay, so it's more than just the bark. It's more than just the tail wag. You have to look at the posture. And you have to look at all these different things. Okay, so it's important that you understand what these things look like. So let's let's go back to the face and the head a second. And we'll work our way back. Okay, the head and the face. Um, look, let's talk about panting. That's one of the most common and easy identifiable body language cues that a dog can give you. And the reason I talk about panting because that we go, David, dogs pant. Yes, yes, they do. Uh, but, <laughs> but dogs pant for really only two reasons, guys. Either to regulate their body temperature or, or anxiety. Yeah. Now, look, anxiety, blanket term, that can mean excitement, that can mean uh, nervousness, that can mean a slew of different things. And again, Just gonna stress it how many times. This is why it's important I don't just look at one detail of their body language, but I look at the whole. Because panting can tell me some things, but not everything. Look, if I have a dog who excessively pants all the time, and I do I oftentimes come into an appointment where I ask at the consult, I'm like, hey, you know, your dog has been panting for the last 40 minutes that I've been here. We haven't been outside. It's not hot, you know, we haven't been exercising heavily. So there goes the body body temperature regulation. It's nice and cool in here. We don't have to worry about that. So what's that telling me? Your dog's anxious about something. It hasn't stopped panting for 40 minutes straight. Okay? So the panting can tell you something, not everything, but it can tell you a lot uh, about what's going on with that dog inside, what's going on between the eyes, between the ears, you know what I mean? The brain, what's happening in that head. All right. So if I see a lot of excessive panting, a dog might be nervous. Now let's go to the Joker smile from the panting. That Joker smile. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's when the dogs really get, you know, their, their cheeks get almost (laughs) the the edges of their mouth go almost back into their cheeks and they almost have this little wrinkle behind it. It looks like the Joker uh, from Batman, you know, the Joker smile. There's only really one acceptable reason your dog should be doing the joker smile, and that is because you've been outside exercising a ton, right? They've been running a lot, and so they're panting heavily to regulate the body temperature, and so they have that joker smile in order to, you know, excessively pant to, to catch their breath, to bring them back down to a cooler temperature. Okay, That's the only acceptable reason that your dog should be joker smiling, I'll be honest, I can't tell you how many times dealing with an anxious dog dealing with behavioral issues that a dog is giving off the joker smile and you do the wrong thing and that dog's gonna take your hand off because that's saying I'm very anxious. Okay, again, let's distinguish there, guys. If your dog has been excessively running and exercising and your dog's not really, you know, your dog doesn't have anxiety issues and they have the joker smile because they've been excessively running, sure, acceptable. Your dog's just been chilling at home and they get really nervous just because, and their Joker smiling, not acceptable. Okay, very, 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 very. Not even a fine line. It's a very obvious line right there. Okay, so that should be that should be clear. I want to make that clear there. Okay, so then we can talk about the rest of the face, right? What do the wrinkles on a dog's face say? What do their eyes say? Are their eyes dilated? Are they relaxed? Are are their eyes darting everywhere? How is the head? Are the you know are, they, are there? Is their head scrunched. Is it? Pay attention to these little details with your own dog. It's really important and can tell you a lot about their state of mind. Now, I can hear it. Some people go, well, David, my, my dog's always like that. My dog always is darting around. My dog's... A- your dog's always anxious, guys. I, 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 if you don't see that yet, I, I, I... Your dog's always anxious. If he's giving off these cues constantly, your dog is always anxious. It's not okay. Sorry, truth bomb. Wasn't really expecting it. There it was. Um, Yeah, you know, tough. I I know. But body language is going to tell you a lot. Your dog is going to tell you a lot through these cues. And look, if they're not relaxed, then they're anxious, right? Like that's, there it is. All right, so those wrinkles on the head, the darting of the eyes, are the eyes dilated? Look, this is why professionals don't get bit as often as they probably should. (laughs) Because we recognize these cues. We recognize these subtleties. And I know, well, there's a joker smile and dilated eyes. I'm not reaching my hand in there. (laughs) There you go. Um, That kind of stuff. Okay. People think they can reason with a dog. You can, you know, no, you can't reason with them. You can show them you're not a threat through your own body language, which we'll get to in a few in your own body language. Um, But you can't reason with them well oh, I can reason with them I didn't know you you actually you probably don't realize that you go in you're doing a good job of probably showing the dog you're not a threat but you're not reasoning with them you're speaking their language you're speaking body language okay all right so i talked about that how about the ears the ears right if the ears are pasted back to the back of their head they're panting they look nervous the eyes are darting everywhere right it's the combo of all these things added up that makes me see how nervous a dog is, where their nervousness is, are they nervous? Are they relaxed? Are they excitable? Are they, all these things are going to tell you. So it's, again, I'm not just focusing on one thing. But I like to see ears back, down and relaxed, not back and pasted to the back of their head. You know what I mean? Uh, There's the difference there. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the ears being perked up. Curiosity, I mean, come on, there's nothing wrong with that. Curiosity, we know what that looks like. Maybe a little excitable, maybe a little bit of panting, right? Because sometimes curiosity can bring a little excitement, a little anxiety, but nothing extreme. No joker smile, that's totally fine. right, you see what I'm saying here? I pay attention to all the cues to tell me, is this dog anxious, angry, aggressive? It all adds up, all right? Let's keep going down the back, right? Okay, we can always, a lot of dogs will give you the signal of the fur standing up right on the base of the neck, or even sometimes all the way down the spine. Don't wanna see too much of that, do we? No, that can be a bad thing. So if you do see fur standing up on the back of the neck, that's a warning sign right there, okay? Uh, now, the tail. <laughs> We've talked about the tail a little bit here. Let's just try to dive through it. Look, as I said kind of at the beginning, I look for certain things in how the tail is wagging, where the tail is wagging. Where did the tail start when we started running through an exercise maybe as we're training? Where did it end? Uh, to me, for the walk, for example, the, the tail can actually tell me when we're tired. Boy, there's a lot of T's there. Tail can tell me when we're tired uh, <laughs> because I like to take a look at where I like to take a look at where the tail is and see how tired it is when we start. Uh, <laughs> okay, I look at where the tail is when we start the walk and when we end the walk. Now, normally when we start the walk, of course, a little excited to go for the walk. Heck yeah, I love it. And the tail's usually up and got a nice wag and a nice flow to it. If the tail's going insane and crazy, you need to increase your walk by about thirty to forty-five minutes. <laughs> okay at the beginning if it's like that but if we have a nice excited wag it's got a nice little flow to it it's not too crazy not too frantic cool so i'll see where that is An hour into my walk i'm going to take a look at that tail and see where it is i can guarantee you it's almost dropped below their back if it starts dropping below their back that tells me they're getting tired Okay, I love these body language cues. If you learn to pick up on these little patterns and these these subtleties, it can really go a long way toward helping you with your dog and telling you if you're really if you're getting them tired or not, if they're stimulated or not. Uh, very important things. Okay, so um, that's what I like to look for in the tail. A nice flowing wag, nothing too frantic. Look, the happy tail people talk about. thats It's it's so frantic, it's wagging so hard, and it's... They call it a happy tail? Ah, seems a little much, guys. A little extreme for me. I don't know I'd call that a happy tail. I'd call that an overexcited tail that could cause injury uh, to the dog. I, 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 there's nothing happy about that to me. Um, so, you know, I think if we didn't make our dog so overexcitable all the time, that's how crazy we probably wouldn't have happy tail issues as much. Crazy thought. Um, (laughs) Oh, a few truth bombs in this this, uh, this segment today, I wasn't expecting. So, (laughs) okay, I like a nice flowy tail. I like a nice wagging tail that's happy, but not too overexcited, okay? Now, to the other side of the spectrum, if I'm trying to approach a dog that's got a tail that's down and it's wagging kind of frantically, I don't think you should try to approach that dog and reason with them. Might just make them more nervous. It's not gonna be a good idea. Okay, I like to wait for that tail to relax, then maybe try to approach. Okay, so the tail can tell you something, but look, if that tail's down and frantically wagging, I can almost guarantee the ears are probably pasted to the back of the head. There might be some panting, or maybe their face looks a little little darty, a little scrunchy, because they're nervous. I look at the whole thing. Okay, gotta gotta just stress it again. Um, (laughs) All right. Tip of the nose down to the tip of the tail. Important that you see it all and read their body language. It tells you a lot, all right? So I like to look for those certain signs with the tail that tells you a lot. There you go. Oh, my goodness. So many things. Uh, (laughs) Now let's talk about your body language for a minute here, guys. Your body language is so important. Look, uh, I'll tell you a story. Years and years ago, my wife and I, we were on a cruise. We were, uh, I don't even remember where we were. We were in Cozumel or something, Mexico. We were doing this horseback riding thing. And I'll never forget two things. Number one, uh, I got on the horse and I, I've done a little horseback riding back then, you know, a little bit. And I got on this horse and uh, just kind of took to it. And the guy, you know, a little pat on the back to myself. He was like, wow, you know, you're, I'm impressed. The dog, the horse is listening to you, dog. Look, like I said the dog. See, that's just it. I jumped on the horse and pretended it was a dog. That's just it's, it's training. You know what I mean? Training is training is training. Just get on the animal and work it. Um, and that's what I did. And the horse responded very well to me. And it was it was awesome. He was a good little horse there. Um, but there was another woman who had clearly never ridden a horse in her entire life. <laughs> and keep in mind, guys, these are the good horses. You know, they're not giving the tourists the, the bad horses. So they're giving you pretty easy horses to work with. That's the other thing. I mean, this horse was easy I was working with. It's not like I was dealing with a complicated uh, thing here, you know. <laughs> but this woman would not tell this horse what to do. Her body language was fearful. It was. It was scared. It was nervous. It was unsure, uncertain. And this horse was literally just doing whatever the hell it wanted. <laughs> and the leader of the group was getting so frustrated. with like, he's like, dude, just, just tell the horse what to do. Just grab the reins and make it go this way. Make it go that way. And the horse just kept wandering off and started eating. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to go check out what's over here. I don't get to do that on a normal basis. And this lady's not stopping me. So away I go. Right? You know, you can't you can't tell an animal that large, hey, can you please just stop doing? It? It's not, it's just not going to work. <laughs> you have to work that animal, and your body language has to reflect that. You have to be confident. You have to pretend like you've done it a thousand times before, even if you haven't. I've um, got okay, another story years ago. Uh, to make a long story short, I was teaching um, somebody how to handle a bird of prey, a hawk. Okay. And she'd never handled birds of prey before, and she was a little nervous. And look, rightfully so. Uh, I'll never forget my first time walking in with a hawk, and it's a little like holy crap. But the advice I was given was, David, walk in there, act like you've done it a thousand times, and just make that bird step up on your glove. And sure enough, wasn't a bad problem. I walked right in, kind of you know, held myself high, shoulders back, head up, not giving off any nervous energy. I walk right in, I put my glove out, the bird steps right up, no problem. Bird's already been trained, you know what I mean? Just walk in and make it happen. Okay, And it's no different with dog training. Now, I'm teaching this girl trying to tell her, hey, look, puff yourself up. Walk. And she just wouldn't. She just kept... And we started walking up to the enclosure where the bird is. And man, this bird just started sizing her up. You could read that bird's body language. You know why? Because the hawk literally starts darting its head left, right, left, right, left, right. Sizing her up, checking her out. And sure enough, when she walks in there, the bird dives right at her. You know? <laughs> Nature's not nice, guys. I don't know why everybody thinks it is, but nature's not nice. It's fight or flight. It's prey or predator. It's it's just the way that stuff works. And as much as we don't like to admit it, dogs are predators at the end of the day. Dogs are domesticated wolves and they are a domesticated predator. And it does not matter how much we domesticate them, that instinctual... Prey, uh, predator, excuse me, predator in them is never, ever, ever, ever going to go away. Right? So, your body language when working with a dog has to reflect that confidence of a predator. Because you know what, guys? <laughs> We're predators too. Yep. It's what we are. I mean, that's you can just domesticate us all you want. We are predators in the back of our brains. We act like it a lot, don't we? Think about that. Um, <laughs> So you have to give off confident body language when you're working with your dog. You will see such a change in your walk if you walk outside, put your head up, put your shoulders back, and act like you've done the walk a thousand times. Make decisions instantaneously with your dog on the walk. Don't think about it. React. Act do something. Be confident in your movements. Be confident with your leash work. And again, pretend like you've done it a thousand times before. I can guarantee you your walk will improve at least a little bit. Yep. At least a little bit. can tell you that much. Uh, If you just start acting confident, man, confidence can be contagious. That's really what it comes down to. It's contagious because people want to seek out confidence and seek out confident leadership. So get out there and be confident. Make your body, look, I I said this, I don't remember a couple, quite a few segments ago, actually. I have an exercise for you. I want you to go in the mirror. I want you to leash up your dog. I want you to find a mirror in your house that you, you can see at least most of your body, right? At least from the waist up, bare minimum. But I want you to leash up your dog and bring them in front of the mirror with you. And I want you to try to replicate what you look like when you walk out the door. Or better yet, if you've got a mirror by the front door, sometimes people have that. Better yet, if you got that mirror by the front door, check it out when you're walking out with your dog. Don't try to put on the front. I want you to just be natural and see what you look like. Ask yourself. Take a picture if you need to. Ask yourself, does this look like a confident person? Is this somebody I want to listen to? If the answer is no, do something about it. Do something about it. Yeah. Change your confidence. Change your body language. And it makes a huge difference in your dog's life and your own. Power of body language is an intense and empowering thing if you use it correctly, right? It is, it's awesome. I love it. So get out there, understand your dog's body language, understand your body language and how it affects your training with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help at the nature of training. We are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets, no matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing from an unruly puppy to more severe issues. We can help offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. on Speak A Dog Cast, I like big mutts and I cannot lie. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I like big mutts. What can I say? Uh, I do love big dogs, but hey, we're talking about mutts in general, not just big mutts. So we have to talk about mutts. Mutts, mixed breed dogs. They get a bad rap, but you know something? I think their reputation's getting better and better every day with all the rescues out there, all the amazing rescue stories, you know, the work that mutts do with, with disabled people, with police work, uh, police dog work. There, there's all these amazing, incredible things that rescue dogs can do and that mutts can do. You know, first thing I want to talk about is the fact that, especially in the state of Florida where I live, a lot of rescues are filled to the brim with these dogs that are labeled as a pit bull mix. Oh no, people get all... Look, here's the thing. They're not necessarily pit bulls and a lot of times through a lot of studies they've done on genetic studies, you know, where they actually take uh, the breeds and they do DNA tests and a lot of these dogs don't even have any pit bull in them. Or better yet, dogs that aren't labeled pit bull do have pit bull in them. The point really comes to the fact that it's almost impossible to tell just off of looks what kind of breed a dog is. That's, you know, that's just the truth of it. So, when you go to the to the uh, uh, rescue, sure, I would like you to keep in mind what type of lifestyle you have. Should you even look for a bigger dog, or or a dog that may potentially have these high energy breeds mixed in there? You, know, you have to consider that, of course. Um, but my point is, don't don't let a label kind of you know break your heart or make your decision. Use logic. That's what I'm getting at, I guess. <laughs> okay, so that's be- now the other thing with mutt. <laughs> I'm probably going to ruin some people's lives today. (laughs) Some people that are diehard, certain breed fans. And look, I'll be honest. I like golden retrievers. I've said it before. They are my favorite breed. I love all dogs. Uh, Look, I've got four dogs and only one of them at the moment is a golden retriever out of the four. Only 25% of my pack is a golden. Used to be 50% of my pack for a little... Actually, I guess it was more like... All right, I'm not doing math right now. (laughs) But the point is... uh, that I'm getting at is, you ready for it? You ready for it, guys? Purebred dogs, they're mutts. (laughs) You heard me right. Purebred dogs are mutts that we've labeled. (laughs) Think about it this way. What about the most popular new hybrid breed, the golden doodle, the labradoodle, the doodle? Uh, They're mutts. They're mutts, guys. You're paying a lot of money for a mutt. Um, not to mention you go buy a purebred golden retriever. Yeah. You know, in all honesty, you're paying for a selectively bred mutt. Think about it. Think about it. You know, look, when I used to have all my, seg- I used to have the segment breed of the week and we may bring breed of the week, but week back at some point, but we had like 80, 70, 80 something breeds of the week. I think before we stopped this, So go back, you can listen to them. There's definitely a lot of breeds of the week features a certain breed, but when we talk about all these breeds, what do we talk about? We talk about the fact that it took seven, eight, 10, 12 breeds, three generations, five generations, whatever, to make these breeds, to make these purebred dogs. Is it any different than a mutt? To some degree, yeah. Um, But no. Look, the reason a lot of our modern breeds have so many health issues, the more modern breeds as opposed to like the ancient breeds, uh, they tend to have a lot more health issues. It's because of the inbreeding. Or the selective breeding, if you will, that got us these quote purebred dogs. So really, when it comes down to it, every dog is a mutt. <laughs> every dog is a mutt. You know, uh, and and look for that matter, they're kind of purebred dogs are like a crappier mutt. <laughs> like, oh, David, what are you saying? It's true. It, they're, look, health-wise, just for my health, look, I had my my half-lab half-great Dane. All right, that was a big dog. We all know it. Big dogs do not have the best life expectancy. Great Danes are seven to nine years old. It's not to say they can't live past nine. It's just to say, on average, it's about seven to nine. Labradors are 10 to 12. Penny was half lab, half Great Dane, and lived to be 12 and a half. Okay, she had no health issues until the very end, with the exception of some knee problems. Uh, That was the size, and again, because of breeding that we've done. Um. But she had no other health issues, and you know the, the, the truth of it is she's actually more genetic. She was more genetically diverse, diverse than a purebred dog, because purebreds again they used to 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 they used uh, other dogs to inbreed and selectively breed that created all these health issues we have in purebred dogs. So when you actually look at it from a health perspective, for the most part, a mutt is going to be more gen- genetically diverse than a purebred dog and therefore actually be healthier. Look, we did the DNA test with Riker, prime example. Um, you know, We did an awesome DNA segment about, was that about a year ago? Probably a little over a year ago at this point, I'd have to guess, I, I, don't, I don't know, it's off the top of my head, uh, it's been a while. But there was a great DNA segment we did because we got the DNA results from Riker and we got to see exactly what he was. Now, if, uh, if I can't, I can't exactly remember the exact percentages anymore at this point of what he was broken down. Point is, though, guys, he was a lot of different things, and he did have six percent collie in him. But because of the you know the the, the the amount of collie versus the other breeds and all that kind of stuff, and all the genetic makeup, and the fact that he was so diverse, he was not susceptible to collie eye. Okay, he was not susceptible to a lot of the eye issues that collies face, even though he's part collie. Why? Cause he's, cause he's genetically diverse. I mean, cause he, cause he is a mutt, a mutt can actually make dogs healthier. So I hear it a lot where people, I, I, that that's one of my favorite ones where people go, Oh, I don't want to go to the shelter because you know, you don't know if you're going to get a dog that has a ton of health issues. Cause I got news for you. You got a better chance. You got a better chance getting a mutt most likely than like a lab or, or a golden two of those two, Like I, two of my favorite breeds, they really are, but man, they're full of health issues, cancer and joint issues. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, golden's can have thyroid problems. My, one of my golden's had a thyroid problem. He had issues with, with, uh, uh, the two, you know, fatty tumors. Oh my goodness. You know, guy love man. and I love goldens. they're just, they're such great dogs, but, They come with a lot of issues, you know? Um, So yeah, that's my point about, I like big mutts. I love mutts. I love mutts. I love mutts because they're great dogs. So look, if you're listening to this and you're kind of on the fence about getting a new dog and you're really not sure, I implore you to go down to your local shelter and check it out. Again, Please put a head on your shoulders. If if you're not going to go running every day, if you're not ready to walk your dog for at least an hour or two at least every single day, as well as some play exercise and stimulation and socialization and dog parks and doggy day, don't go get a German Shepherd looking thing. Don't go get a beautiful Shepherd dog because it was gorgeous. No. Dog's going to need stimulation. And here's another thing. Because I run into it too often, I just have to say it again. Guys, please be mindful of your activity in your age. Look, I'm, not, I'm not trying to point a finger or be discriminatory or anything like that. I'm being realistic. If you're 70 years old, you probably should not be getting a 10-week-old German Shepherd puppy. You probably should not be getting a lab even. You probably shouldn't even be getting a Golden Retriever puppy. I'm just being honest. Guys, do you know how many older dogs there are sitting in shelters looking for a good home? They don't have the energy of a puppy, but they have the companionship of a puppy. They can still play. They can still walk. They can still have fun, but they don't need that same level as like a five-year and younger dog. They need a home. Match your energy level to the dog you're going to love and the dog that's going to love you. It really can go a lot better for everybody, and you can help get one of those older dogs out of the shelter, okay? Um, so just really, really take that into consideration. Please don't go adopt a dog based on looks, based on cuteness, based on any of that. Use logic and reason when doing it because well, I want you to go out and get a mutt. I want you to be mindful at least have some idea (laughs) of what kind of mutt you're getting. And look for me with Riker, for example, they labeled up a lab hound mix. He has zero lab, he has zero hound, but I knew there was a chance there'd be other things in there, and I'm ready for it. It's fine. I walk my dogs all the time. He's got lots of stimulation, doggy day camps, uh, plenty of space out here that we have. He's got all this different stimulation and ways we had to be able to fulfill his needs. So I knew going into it, hey, this dog could be big. He could be uh, he could be a couple different things. He could be kind of a farm dog. That's fine. It's cool with us. It's what we need. That's the kind of life he we can provide for him here. So I like adopting dogs. I love adopting mutts. From a health standpoint, they can actually be healthier, guys. Yeah, I know. Because, in, because uh, purebred dogs, they're inbred to make them purebred. That's how this stuff worked originally. Sure, with responsible, I don't want to totally knock on breeders, guys, because again, I do see the need for certain breeds, but I do believe in responsible breeding. There are way too many backyard breeders out there, way too many people breeding dogs that shouldn't be. There should be only responsible breeding with people doing it in ways ensuring the best health and the best life for our dogs and our pets, right? It's the way it should be. So keep that in mind when you're out there hunting for a new dog. And hey, get out there and adopt a mutt. The answer to today's trivia question, how long do snow crabs live? Around 20 years, yes. Now, if you have not heard, this is very interesting and perhaps a little alarming as well, but for the first time ever, the Alaskan snow crab season has been canceled. The reason for this is the Alaskan snow crab population has experienced an almost 90% decrease from 2018, where there were eight billion crabs, and now in 2022, only one billion crabs. Nobody's exactly sure where, or why the crabs have gone. Now, scientists are currently trying to study this, and it is debated that warming water temperatures are perhaps to play a role. But nobody has the answer for certain. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about Benjamin Harrison. Benjamin Harrison was the 23rd president of the United States, serving from 1889 to 1893. Now, Benjamin Harrison was the great-grandson of William Henry Harrison, the ninth president of the U.S. The Harrison family did have some pets along the way, but the entourage that they really brought with them to the White House was, well, more of the human variety. When Benjamin and his wife, Caroline, moved in, they also brought their two grown children with the spouses and children of their own, and Caroline's father as well. Now, some of the family members ended up moving in and spending all four years of the presidency at the White House. Quite a nice little residency there. And that means that they brought their own pets coming and going over the years. Now, the dogs that called the White House the home, their home during this time, they were a mix of the family dogs, and, well, really, it's just not exactly known how many there were or who they really belonged to, with the exception of one dog. Now, Dash. Dash was a collie mix. He was a present from Harrison that he bought for his grandchildren. But apparently the dog preferred the affection of the president instead. Now he at least approved of the dog as he had an ornate doghouse built for Dash outside of the White House. The president was actually known to close up shop around noon so he could spend the rest of the day outside on the lawn with his grandchildren and their dogs. Harrison wasn't the most memorable president and I'm beginning to see why. (laughs) And There was another Siberian bloodhound that was mentioned, but its name is lost to history. As far as the more exotic pets go, nothing too crazy here, just two opossums, one named Mr. Reciprocity, and the other, Mr. Protection. Now, they also had a goat who went by the name of Old Whiskers. The goat would put up with a lot, you know, putting up with the kids playing with them, for the most part, and they actually would uh, have the goat pull the kids around in a wagon. However, one day, I think Mr. Whiskers had had enough. Now, with the kids in the wagon in tow, Mr. Whiskers, he took off running through the White House gates. The president happened to be waiting for his own carriage to arrive at the front of the White House and ended up chasing after the cart. Now, it must have been quite a scene for the citizens of Washington, D.C. to see their president running down the road Chasing a goat, yelling and waving his cane. <laughs> Eventually, Mister Whiskers did stop, and the kids—they were okay. Next up, Speak a Dogcast. It's the listener Q and A. The first question today comes from Antonio from Atlanta, Georgia. Antonio says my dog seems antsy quite often. She never really just settles and chills out unless she's asleep, which doesn't happen until the end of the night. How can I get her to chill out and relax more? Antonio, the answer to all of your problems is walk your dog more. (laughs) exercise your dog more, play with your dog more, get your dog to a doggy day camp, socialize them, take them to the dog park, uh, her to the dog park rather, that's what it's going to take. You know, when a dog is really antsy around the house, normally, most likely, this is at least most likely, uh, it means your dog is not getting enough proper Exercise right. There is a right and a wrong way to walk your dog. Make sure you're doing it the right way. You can definitely check out some of my other segments on walking your dog. Um, look, maybe there is a little anxiety going on. If they're antsy, that that is anxiety to some degree. Um, you can check out my other segments on anxiety as well. A lot of good information in there. You might be able to. Uh, listen to that and kind of find some of the symptoms going on. And maybe there's more happening than you think than just antsiness of roaming around the house. Uh, But honestly, the biggest solution for you is going to be getting out there and exercising your dog more, stimulating your dog more, letting her maybe experience more in the world. Uh, But look, at the end of the day, it comes down to a proper walk, making sure your dog is having enough mental and physical stimulation to keep her happy and healthy at the same time there's a little more you can do you can teach your dog like a spot command tell her to go to her spot when she's being antsy lie down and stay now you can give her a fun toy to chew on or something like that distracting to keep her wanting to lay there Um, but if she gets up you have to be taking an active role in your dog's training and redirecting her making her go lay back down on the spot and extending that stay now last step is that was last episode, right? Actually, I'm going to check for you. Uh, that was last episode. My goodness, I'm losing track of time. No, bah, 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 bah. Yes, extending the stay. <laughs> that was last episode. Check that out too, because you're going to want to work on extending that stay for your dog to make sure that they, you know, stay on their spot. The longer she stays on that spot, laying down in a relaxed position, in a relaxed state of mind, Or she's just gonna wanna keep relaxing. Now, of course, once she's on that spot and she is relaxing, make sure you tell her you like it. I know you're saying that she, you know, probably relaxes mostly at the end of the day, but look, at any point in the day, at any point of the day, if she relaxes at all, even just sits down on her own, goes and lays down on her own, uh, so much as looks like she's relaxing from a point that, you know, off of what she was doing, make sure you tell her, good girl, you like it. Don't make too big a deal about it. You don't wanna get her back overexcited again. Just say, hey, good girl, and move on. Okay. But that's the point. Try to redirect her antiness, try to exercise her more to get some of that energy out to make sure you're fulfilling her mentally and physically enough. And then of course, reinforce and strengthen any relaxing behaviors that you see. Next question. This comes from Tamra from Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Tamra says, how do I teach my dog a speak command? Good question, Tamra. That's a fun one to teach your dog. Look, honestly, the easiest way to get your dog to do it um, is to get them excitable and barking. Uh, look, I'll tell you, the, <laughs> the best way to do it is to put a barrier between you and your dog when you're playing, right? So if you're kind of playing keep away from, from your dog, you know, you're trying to run around and get your dog to chase you. Um, look, my first, the first dog I taught to speak, I'll tell you, the very first dog I taught to speak to was Penny Lane. This was years and years ago. And uh, the house we were living in at the time The kitchen sort of had like a a bar thing that you could actually go 360 degrees around, you know? So like on the one side of the bar was the family room kind of area, living room, whatever. And then you come around and it's a kitchen. And so I'd have her chase me, but I'd get to a point where she's on one side and I'm on the other and she can't get to me. And playfully, of course, she'd get like frustrated and she'd like start to go woof at me and bark at me. And I'd say, hey, good girl, good speak. And I put the command to it, good speak. And I also had a hand motion for it too, where I was up at my face, I do a little hand motion. You can do whatever hand motion you want for it. Uh, But I recommend pairing that word and the hand motion. But really the easiest way is to get them very excitable and to get them barking and say, hey, good, speak. And then you gotta tell them quiet because you wanna tell them to stop. You wanna be able to control it, (laughs) okay? You really wanna find it acceptable anytime they speak um, playfully like that, encourage it, reinforce it, and strengthen it. And then once they start understanding that what you're saying then control it a little bit, you know, be, be more, um, specific about what you want to reinforce. So only rein once they start getting it, only reinforce it once you ask for it. Right. At first, I'm a little more loosey goosey with it. Cause I want to show them, Hey, yeah, do that behavior, do that behavior, pair the command with it and then teach them only when you ask for it. Okay. But honestly, the easiest, most straightforward way, really it sounds silly. Play with your dog, play, keep away, get them to chase you a little bit, and then put something in between yourself and them. For Riker, my other guy that I taught to speak to, look, I'll be honest, Violet, Violet was not a very vocal dog. She was very difficult to teach it uh, and she doesn't really ever bark. <laughs> she doesn't, so much harder to teach a dog like that to speak. Um, but Riker was always a lot of fun. He would chase me and I put the coffee table between us and our new house. That was the option here. Coffee table made him chase me around. He couldn't get to me. He stuck on the other side of it. He got frustrated and started kind of whining a little bit and then I go, yes, yeah, speak, speak. And then he barked. And then before you know it, pairing it. Now he understands it. No problem. He picked up on that really fast. So did Penny Lane. Uh, Colby Jack, I honestly don't remember teaching him at I mean, obviously I taught him and he knew his speak. I don't remember how I did it with him. I want to say that's probably how I did it because that's how I usually do it when I teach a speak. A lot of fun, a lot of fun to teach the speak command. Uh, Now, side note though, if your dog is re- too barky, if they're over barky, you don't want to teach a speak command. You want to teach them to be quiet first, okay? Then try to be, bring the speak back. But I found if a dog is too barky, it's too much, and you try to capture it, it just makes it worse. Uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of, you, you try to capture the speak. Speaking of, that's kind of the word, we capture it, right? They speak and I say, hey, good boy, you spoke, good job, yeah, you did what I want, yeah, right? Uh, unlike like a paw command, I can't like force a dog to speak, right? Like a, when I'm teaching a paw, I can literally Lift their paw into my hand, show them what I want. Can't do that with the speak. Sometimes you can even bark at them, woof, you know, woof, and they'll bark back at you occasionally, you know. They, they do it out of frustration. They don't know what you're doing. Um, but you can capture that speak command. I hope that helps out a little bit. It's a lot of fun to teach your dog the speak command and uh, see if you can get him doing it. <music> that's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do that right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. And if you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating. Yes, click that five-star rating right now. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.